Thank you, Lord. Be praying. We, um, we are, Heather has finally got the word of the Lord. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, when I was out in California for Rodney's wedding, Herman came down there and always, you know, Herman loves to laugh. He's always cutting up, but I, I, he, I said, hey, you know, when, when are you going to head to Oklahoma? He said, well, I'm waiting to hear the Lord. And I said, well, the Lord has spoken. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, I've been praying since we got here that the Lord would just um, reignite the flame for the choir. And I believe that's a blessing. Chris said last Sunday after the kids sang, he said, well, I didn't feel like we were quite home yet. But once we got that, I feel like we're home. And uh, that has been such a blessing. I, I believe for that, and um, we'll just be praying that God will open the doors of where, um, where we should go. I think there's a, you know, maybe uh, probably some people in this area that need to be encouraged by the Lord, and so we want to do that. Amen? This Wednesday, we are going to meet everybody at the, um, what is that called? Claremore Park. Lake Park. There we go. So right next to the rodeo grounds, there's a couple of pavilions there. It's supposed to be like 80 Two should be beautiful. Bring lawn chairs, and we'll just meet everybody there. Um, I miss everybody being together. I, I do miss that. I, you know, it's funny how the Lord lays things out. I mean, the fact that Chris and Sandy are only a couple hundred yards makes it doable to get the kids over there and still be able to do that. So we're, we're thankful that we can do that, but I sure do miss being with everybody. Um, so we will be there just normal. We'll get there at um, 7 o'clock and... Um, We'll do some songs, I'm sure, and, and uh, Dustin's going to teach, and I don't know, we'll probably do something for the kids, but um, we can maybe even break off into the kids. I don't sit in pods on the grass, I guess, but it just at least we'll be together and uh, hug somebody's neck, so amen. Am I missing anything? I don't think so. Amen. Open your Bibles to the book of John, the first chapter, and um, I'm going to share something with you tonight that I have never um, spoken on that I know of. I've been preaching for 25, 26 years now, so sometimes you forget things that you have ministered on. But to my knowledge, I haven't, haven't really ever seen this because the Lord's really been stirring this in my heart. I want to begin to read in the 10th verse of the first chapter of John. And if you're there, say amen. Amen. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, or really because of him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become sons of God, or authority, even to them that believe into his name, which were not born, or which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word, or the Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received. Grace for grace. For the law 
was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I want to share with you tonight a thought out of the 16th verse. Grace for grace. Has anybody ever noticed that passage right there and thought much about it? A couple of you. Well, good. The rest of you will, will be receiving fresh manna tonight. <laughs> I want to give it to you in the Greek. Grace, anti-grace. I want you to think about that for a few minutes as I tear down this chapter. Uh, the beginning of verse 6. The evangelist John records the witness or the testimony of the Baptist John concerning his cousin in the flesh, Jesus. I wrote years ago in my Greek New Testament, I made a, a bracket starting at verse 6 and going down to verse 14 or 15. I don't remember which one because I don't have my Greek Bible here. But, um, and I wrote in, in that bracket, John the Baptist testimony. Because when we think about this passage, John the evangelist is recording what John the Baptist was saying. This is what he spoke of Jesus. This is what he confirmed of the Lord. The evangelist points out that the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness of the one who was the light. It says, the Baptist says that he came unto his own his own things, his own creation, his own people, and they did not receive him. This term requires pause because we hear this applied to our relationship with Jesus. The question posed by so many preachers every Sunday is, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? If you go to so many churches, this is what you're going to hear at the end of so many messages. I would say most churches, you would hear this Sunday morning at the end of probably at least half of the messages that are preached. Do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? It seems to paint a very passive and nonchalant participation in the process of receiving Jesus. But this is the very thing that I think we need to deal with today concerning understanding the grace of God. The word receive here in this passage in, the, in John 1 and many places, but specifically in this passage, is the Greek word lambano. We, we see this word um, used in, in many different applications, but the word really means to accept with initiative. It emphasizes the volition or the assertiveness of the receiver to actually take hold of something. When we think of receive, and so many times when somebody gets up and, and says to us in a, in a church setting, do you want to receive Jesus it's us sitting down just like this, and we raise our hand, yes, and we go to an altar, at which point we're kind of expecting him to meet us there. That's kind of that perspective. But 
there's, there's, a, there's a difference between the Lombano reception and the passive reception that so many people expect of Jesus. So a few months ago, we ventured to Branson for the first time, had not been that way, and Roderick met us there. And he said, you gotta, you gotta go to Lambert's. And Lambert's on the side of the building says it is the home of the throwed roll. I don't care about my English. That's what it says on the wall. The home of the throwed roll. We were sitting there and, and uh, they come around and they bring you all kinds of sides and, and they throw bread around the restaurant, just zinging around. And so we were sitting in two tables. We were sitting in one booth and the kids were all sitting in the booth behind us. And while uh, we were sitting there, apparently Roderick's daughter had raised her hand for a roll and she was sitting directly behind me. And it went right over her head, right over my head, and my big cup of tea received that roll. <laughs> it did nothing but sat there and splash. And so I'm good. Uh, that's, I, I drank the tea, just a little bread, pull it out, and we're good to go. That idea of reception is not the idea of receiving Jesus that we just read about. I coached football for a lot of years. And as I progressed, you learn important traits uh, that make you a better football player. So many times uh, I hear coaches and it really aggravates me. I hear coaches at the basketball, the girls play basketball and wrestling coaches and football coaches, baseball coaches, and they're yelling at the kids because they're not doing the right thing. But my pet peeve with that is unless you teach them the technique to do the right thing, you're wasting your breath yelling. In fact, you're the idiot because you're yelling stuff that kid can't do. And so one of the things that I worked a lot with receivers because I was a quarterback when, when I played and taught a lot of offense. And one of the things we teach receivers, that's an interesting word, a receiver, we call them wide receiver or a slot receiver. They have a, a lot of different names for them. But a receiver is the one who catches a ball from a distance, right? And one of the things that we emphasize for a receiver when we're teaching the skills of being a good receiver, beyond the ability to get open or run a route, is that when that ball comes, it is your job to go catch that ball at its highest point. We would yell at the kids in practice all the time, high point that thing, meaning we're not standing waiting for the ball to come into our hands, but you've got to go and grab that ball. If you've got to turn around and go back to it, turn around and go back to it. If you've got to run further and lay out, the reason being, if you sit and wait, then the defender has an opportunity to come and knock that ball away. So we want to catch that thing at its highest point. There's a difference you can see between my cup of tea on the table and a receiver in the NFL because that receiver is going to learn to go and take hold of that thing it's supposed to be. Take It's his job to catch that ball, to receive that ball, and there is an activity that is involved with that. It's not a passive reception. It's an active reception. This reception of Christ is no passive reception. This is the meaning of Lombano. 
It means you're going to have to go and take hold of it. I, I didn't even write this down, but I remembered this verse in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. And so I'm going to skip there. It's not even on my notes, but I just remembered this verse come to my mind here. That I may know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be made conformable unto his death. Verse 11, if by any means that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, let me put this into English for you. So that I might take hold of the one who took hold of me. That's literally what it's saying. This is the idea of Lombano. Paul tells the Philippian church, I am pressing toward the mark in the next few verses. And I'm trying to take a hold of the one who has taken a hold of me. There has to be an active reception of Jesus. I want you to look at verse 14 in that first chapter again. And the logos was made flesh. Now remember, I know most of you do, but we do have some people who haven't been with us as long. Understand the meaning of logos. This is not the word, word, W-O-R-D, is not the appropriate translation at all. But this word logos, the root word, is where we would get our word logic. It's the thinking process. It's the reason for which something happens. It has become construction of language because when we speak, we think, I hope. And hopefully you are speaking after you think, not before you think, because you're going to have a lot of apologies to make if you're waiting to think until after you speak. So the logos is, yes, can be that idea of something that is spoken, but it is not word, it is logic. This logic of God was made flesh. Listen, I want to be clear about something. This is, I have, I don't know how to get ahead of myself here. I have very little need, and Chris has been looking at some of this. I have very little need for answers in Genesis. Because there are no answers in Genesis. There's only questions in Genesis. Answers are in Jesus. Jesus, now listen, we got to understand this. I'm not speaking about creation. That's not what I'm speaking tonight, but I can't deal with it without dealing with it. So Jesus did not become flesh from the heavens. That's not it. Not it at all. The son did not become flesh. The logos, the plan, God Almighty himself became flesh. Jesus did not exist in creation. Let me be very clear about this. Jesus is not in creation. Now, some people would be really mad about that. In fact, they would probably call me a heretic and tell me that I need to stop preaching. Now, what does that mean? It's very clear. God created. 
But when we say Jesus, who is Jesus to us? Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus didn't pre-exist his incarnation. So it is inappropriate to take Jesus into creation. Jesus is not in creation. God is in creation and he is creating for the purpose of the flesh that he's going to become. You follow what I'm saying? But when we try to take Jesus and put him back in creation, then what we've got is the God who's going to become flesh is now separated from the God who's creating. And the worlds were made by him. But that's not at all what the scripture says. It says, and the world was created because of him. With the intention of him arriving, God made everything that was made. That is all you need to know about creation. The days are there to set up the coming of the Lord. So yes, ultimately the result of creation is that God says, listen, I'm going to become flesh. And in order for me to, have, to become humanity, I'm going to create humanity. And in order for humanity to be sustained, then I'm going to create uh, sun and moon and stars. I'm going to create food. I'm going to create shelter. I'm going to make it habitable. But that's all it's about. The answers are found in Jesus. The answers are not found in Genesis. And so many people try to go to Genesis to understand Jesus, but you need to go to Jesus to understand Genesis. It's all about him. We can concise this thing down to about a five-minute message that I just gave you. It's all about the coming of the Lord. But we got to be careful that we don't take the word back to the beginning and say, and Jesus, and God made the heavens and the earth through Jesus. No, 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 no. And that's actually completely mistranslated, as I said. It is absolutely genitive, and it is this formation of these two words, diau, is used countless times in the scripture as because of. It is because of Christ that we exist. God said, I want to reveal myself to people, so I'm going to make people. Everybody following what I'm saying? This is really important. Not, not everybody said amen there, so I don't know. Maybe it's right over your head. Jesus is the name given whereby we recognize that the mighty God became flesh and dwelled among us. That's the name that we understand to be God revealed. That's why we use the name Jesus. God is Jehovah. God is Yahweh. God is Emmanuel. God is Adonai. God is our rabbi. But when we say Jesus, we are saying that God showed up on this earth. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That one showed up on this earth and his name on this earth is Jesus. And so when we say Jesus, we are understanding that it is the God who, who is the, the great and mighty God, the God who made everything that showed up. And so we are putting them together when we say Jesus. But don't take Jesus when you're thinking about creation and put him back in creation because he's not there. So he is Emmanuel. The everlasting father becomes son. All of divinity housed in humanity. This is who Jesus is. Jesus was not present in creation. He was not involved in creation. But because of him, because God was going to become him, become humanity and become a son, God set this whole world in order. So let me ask you a question after that. Who is this about? You or him?
What do we think this whole thing is about? Is it about us? We hear this all the time. That's what I said earlier, this humanistic thought that really, man, God is just so pleased by you. But the scripture says that no flesh should glory in his presence. And that in our flesh, it is impossible to please God. So God's pleased by our everyday conduct? God is pleased when we walk out in faith, trusting and obeying his word. That's when God finds pleasure. This is all about God revealing himself to us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, what? Full of grace and truth. Grace. What is grace? There's so many definitions, so many people. People call it unmerited favor, which is not a biblical definition. There is no biblical definition that would say there's unmerited favor because of grace. Did Jesus give unmerited favor to everybody? No, that's simply not true. To the Pharisees, he didn't give unmerited favor. He rebuked them and called them devils and whitewashed sepulchers. So when we think about grace, what is grace? I have often said, in agreeance with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that Matthew uh, 20, well, where is it? Come unto me, all you that labor heavy laden, uh, 11, 28, I'm slipping my mind, 11, 28, there we go. Come unto me, all you that labor heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. I have often said I believe that to be the greatest picture of grace. Because it is God's call toward our lives. But even more recently, while I still think that's probably true, I'm going to give you a better, maybe, I don't know, in my opinion, a better understanding of what grace is. Let me give you what my opinion on what grace is. We have differing graces here. Grace, verse 16, anti-grace. Everybody say anti. What does anti mean? That's what it means. Instead of. Grace. Instead of grace. Grace. Anti-grace. What we see is we see two differing graces here. I'm not afraid to look at this and say, then what are those graces? Here's the first grace. God showed up. That's the first grace. It was grace that God became visible. It was a gift to mankind that God became approachable. It was amazing grace that God would show up and make himself known to a people who were unfaithful, ungrateful, unholy, unrighteous, and undeserving. John says he came onto his own and they rejected him. Isaiah said they despised him. They considered him stricken and smitten of God. They hated who he was. When God showed up, they hated him. But they hated God long before he showed up. They hated God's law. They hated God's precepts. They hated God's structure. They hated God's rules. They had no reverence for God. 
How many of you want to show up in that situation? When I get a bunch of people that don't like me, I pretty much don't want to go there. I'm just, I mean, that's maybe stating the obvious, but I don't want to go where I'm not wanted. That's one of my big pet peeves. You don't want me around? Great. Just let me know. I don't want to, you know, crash the party here. God should have destroyed them all, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. God should have destroyed them all in the desert. God should have destroyed them all when they, when they worshipped uh, the Baal gods. God should have destroyed them when he is writing and trying to make his law known to Moses and they're down dancing naked around a calf. God should have destroyed them. He didn't. But he showed up to them. God became visible to people who were not even looking for him. We know they weren't looking for him because they did not know him when he showed up. We know they were not looking for him because he gave 300 plus prophecies concerning where, when, how, and what time frame he would be born into. It was obvious to any Jewish scholar that the Messiah was coming. It was known the year he was coming, where he was going, going to be born, to what line he was coming through. They could have found him if they wanted to know him, but they did not. And it is grace that God showed up. It is grace that God gave his life, that God became flesh, and Jesus says, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. It is grace that God gave that life for a world that would despise him and reject him, that would curse him and mock him. That he gave that life in order to offer redemption to bring mankind back into fellowship when we are the ones who destroyed the fellowship. This is the grace of God. But John says, Jesus gives grace, anti-grace. In this case, it's not really against grace, but it could be seen in some sense in that way because it is grace instead of grace. What is the second Grace, then. Well, first, let me say that the grace of God is clearly shown, but there is no salvation in just seeing Jesus. So it's grace that God showed up. Everybody would agree. Say amen. It's grace that God came and made himself visible so that even a fool could figure this thing out. It's grace. Because all of us, we're not any of us exceptionally smart. Sorry to offend you. But we are able to process that God became flesh and that he gave his life for us. That is grace. But there is no salvation in just seeing him. I want to read you a couple of verses here in Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 get back there. Titus chapter 2 in verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. First, 
grace. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second grace. The grace of God is seen in the face of Christ. It has appeared to all men. The great God and Savior appeared. Look at chapter 3 and verse 4. But afterward, the loving kindness of God, our Savior, toward men appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us by the washing and regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. First grace, He appeared. Second grace, we received Him. This is where Lombano comes in. We all behold Him. Everybody who wants to can see that Jesus came. The scriptures record it. Everybody there saw it. They all have that visual of Jesus. That is the grace that God showed up. It is the grace that God worked. It is the grace that God moved. But that grace is not enough for salvation because if it is, then we have universal salvation in which every man will be saved no matter what they do or what they do with Jesus. Just sin was paid for by Christ and so at some point, everybody will be saved. Whether it's now and they live a good life or somewhere in eternity. Carlton Pearson, I don't know if you have heard of him, but... He was a big, prominent preacher in the 90s of Pentecostalism. Man, he had a great uh, album, worship album out. I loved it. Uh, Gary Oliver used to, one of my favorite worship leaders, used to go and sing at his, at his camp meeting, Azusa Street camp meeting. And Carlton Pearson, his grandfather, who had pastored his whole life in his late, I think it was in his 70s, walked away from ministry, walked away from the Lord, left his grandmother, started messing around with prostitutes and lived the rest of his life in sin. And he said, I cannot believe that my grandpa who did all that good his whole life is going to hell. So now Carlton Pearson preaches universalism, that everybody will be saved. Why? Because Jesus came, because he appeared. But I think John gives us some really beautiful insight here. That grace is good. But there's another grace, and it's the Lombano. It's that we are able to take hold of him. John said, we have handled the word of life. We have laid hold, we have touched him. We have seen him. But Jesus said, it's good for you that I go away, because if I do not go away, I cannot return to you. But I am going to come back to you. And I'm going to reside in you. So now we don't just see God at a distance. We don't just see God in, in an appearance. But the God who showed up now resides inside of us. Because we receive him. We have received of his fullness grace and truth. And then John goes on to say that we have received grace 
instead of grace. Here's what I believe. I believe that ultimately, now hang on for a second. I don't believe you're going to hell because you drink. I don't believe you're going to hell because you do drugs. I don't believe you're going to hell because you run around and are promiscuous. I don't believe you're going to hell because you are immodest. I believe you are, your eternal destiny is based on what you do with Jesus. Now, the words of Jesus forbid those things in our lives. But the judgment, we get all caught up. Dad said it this morning. Everybody wants to get all caught up in all the peripherals. We want to, what we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch. And we can look around and say, oh, that one's good because they're doing all this stuff. And that one's bad because they're doing all that stuff. But ultimately, it is whether or not we took grace instead of grace that is going to judge our destiny. Your future is determined by whether or not you received grace instead of grace. You understand what I'm saying? Whether or not you took Jesus, laid hold of the one who laid hold of you, and placed him within your life, or whether or not you just recognize that he showed up. John says you're going to have to have grace instead of grace. You're going to have to have reception instead of perception. You're going to have to take a hold of Christ and, and place him as the most important thing in your life. The pearl. The treasure. Wh whatever picture we can paint, he has to become the center. And so many people go to church and they hear of Jesus. They have it in their sensual, their senses uh, Ability, you know, to, to, to perceive that they can hear that Jesus was. But they never receive of him. They never take him into their lives. The revelation... Of Jesus being the mighty God is good. But again, I know a lot of, a lot of um, really messed up people who've got pretty good theology. Anybody know somebody like that? I know a lot of really sinful, wicked people who might believe some really good things about God. But it's not about just the believing. It's not about the perceiving. It's about the reception. That lombano into our lives. The fullness of His grace is not something that can be experienced externally. Again, the thrust of so many churches is to try to make an environment where people can feel the presence of God. Now... For everybody here who loves the Lord, we felt the presence of God tonight. But for everybody here who is not living for the Lord, if there were somebody or some sinner walked in here, they should feel nothing but the judgment of God concerning their sin. They're not comforted by seeing Jesus. 
And I think this is spelled out even more beautifully on the cross. There is nothing there that you would look at him and desire. The cross is a brutal scene. And the scripture says so. It's about receiving him as mighty God. It literally means that we would take that lumbano instead of just a visual perception or just hearing about him. The portion or the amount of grace in your life is directly connected to the portion or amount in which you have lumbano Christ. Hear a lot of people talking about, I want to live in the grace of God. Anybody hear that? I want to live in the grace of God. I, I don't want to be in the judgment of God. I want to be in the favor of God, the, the grace of God. I want him to look and show up. I want him to be present because I've received him. But the portion of the amount of grace in your life is directly connected to the amount of lumbano of Christ you have done, the reception of him into your heart. Let me read you this scripture because this is beautiful. Uh, Ephesians chapter four and verse seven says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Do you see it tied? There it is. According to the measure of which we receive of him is the amount of grace that is abundant in your life. If your experience with Jesus is reduced to coming to church, doing Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, it's not it. It is directly tied to what you do with Jesus. That God showed up is amazing grace. Amen? That I can receive of him, take hold of him. I'm going to give you a new word. Is amazing-er grace. <laughs> it is grace instead of I don't want to live in an existence where Jesus is just somebody that came and bled and died for my sins. I want to live in an existence where I have received of his fullness grace instead of grace. Lord, I ask you tonight, God, that you would just Touch our lives. God, help us to see your purpose. Help us to see, God, that it is fulfilled in you. That as we receive you, Lord, as we work in you, Jesus, as we walk in you, and as we allow you to grow, and your, your grace and knowledge to grow within us, we pray that you would help us to become the people that you want us to be, Jesus. And we give you praise. Amen. Why don't you stand up and grab your family?